Hello and welcome to the IWIB Female Factor Podcast. IWIB stands for International Women in Business. We are a network based in Stockholm, Sweden, and every month we'll have a guest. These are businessmen, businesswomen, professionals, business leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs from different countries and industries who will share their career journeys and unique perspectives with us. They will also share who are the women behind their success, which we call the female factor. Welcome. Today, I'm honored to welcome Kate Bond, who's joining us from London. She works in the finance world, actually is working at Deloitte's Banking Group with innovation and strategy. And besides her regular job, she's also engaged in public speaking, uh, promoting diversity and culture. She is also the co-founder of Technical Women in Leadership, Mentor, and much more. Welcome, Kate, to the IWAB Female Factor Podcast. Thank you, Tati. It's great to be here. And welcome to all the listeners as well. Thanks, Kate. So let's start from the beginning. Where were you born and how was your journey to England? Oh, no problem. Um, so obviously, as people can tell from my accent, I was born in Australia. And um, that's a joke. Um, born in Australia, we bounced. I had an English mother, an Australian father, and um, we bounced around a lot as a child between Australia and England. So many, many different schools. Um, some of them multiple times, um, many secondary schools as well in the UK. Um, my parents were not in the army. They were not diplomats. We just seemed to move a lot. I think that in the case of sort of the 70s, particularly, it was much easier to move and cheaper to move than maybe it is today. So um, that was that was sort of interesting in terms of always being sort of slightly outside of something and always um, having to embrace something new which I think makes you quite resilient as you grow up. Um, you're, you're pretty self-reliant. You, you learn to listen, to understand rather than to respond, which I think is super important and is definitely something that has held me in good stead through to today. And then I really wanted to do jewellery design um, when I was a teenager. I had done... I had a broad interest, whether it was economics or maths or art and art history, that you couldn't really put me in a, you should be in that particular avenue of education or this particular avenue of education. And so I went to do an art foundation course to try out lots of different um, areas of art. Decided I wanted to be a jewelry designer. My mother said not on her Nelly. Um, <laughs> I was very dismissive of that. Um, and I managed to get on a course that was a mixture of art history and chemistry with Camberwell School of Art. And then I spent the best part of a decade really working at places like the V&A Museum and also then a private art um, collector. So I was his curator, assistant curator for a while. And that was fantastic. That was very much creative, documenting things creating travel ex traveling exhibitions that went around Germany, it went around America, went to Harvard University where I met some great friends that I still have today. But I realized that the, the more that I stayed in that profession, the less I could stay in it. I didn't have a trust fund. Um, you know, we weren't a particularly rich family. And I think one of the expectations for that industry is it has a lot of those sorts of people in it. So the pay is very low. 
Um, I think it's also because generally aren't, aren't the arts aren't necessarily as well rewarded traditionally as other careers. And I had an identical twin sister, or I do, I still do, um, who had gone straight down the sort of the maths route. Um, I think as part of trying to differentiate between the two of us, we were always strongly compared and therefore we're both interested in economics, we're both interested in maths, we're both interested in art and creativity, but because I was going down that route, she chose to go down the other route and did an international banking and corporate finance degree. And she went straight into commercial banking. And I could see that a lot of our friends were, they were also in banking, they were also management consultants. It was that very sort of high performing, high reward type career path and, and there was me. Um, so I felt that as the curator I was working with at that time was selling his collection. So the more I did my job, the less of a job I had to do. And having spoken to places like um, the British Museum, the Guildhall, et cetera, in London, which are sort of the high end of the arts field, Really, I couldn't even earn the salary that I had been on with the private curator. So the decision was made to kind of transition across, but how did I understand what my transferable skills were? So I did a bit of contracting, um, sort of just uh, short contract work with different places and very much felt that every time I tried to get this sort of new job in a new avenue, I was bumping into the response that was, well, we can't give you the junior jobs because you have too much experience and you'll be bored. And we want someone who's gonna be in that role for a while, but we can't give you the senior jobs because you don't have the experience. So it's a little bit chicken and egg. And um, as fortune would have it, in the different ways into financial services, I got a role when a very unfortunate lady, um, she was she was about to be married. Her fiance was a zookeeper at London Zoo and um, he looked after the elephants. And one morning he very unfortunately was crushed to death by one of his elephants, just awful, awful, awful scenario. And the lady had to be out on compassionate leave quite rightly. So they, they advertised a contract role to come in and be the cover for that lady while she was out. Lovely, lovely lady. And I, I made good friends with her later when she returned to the office. Um, but that really was the, the start of, you know, how I got to be where I am now by going in, being curious, kind of daring to ask, put myself forward and, and say yes to opportunities or even ask about opportunities. I think it helped that I knew nothing about banking. I was very much coming to it with a very open mind. And as a fundamental user of financial services and, and looking at things that either felt like as a user and a, and a customer of financial services made sense or didn't. And also the fortunate timing of it was around 2000 was when the internet was just beginning to take off. I, um, I was 29, people were beginning to look at this newfangled thing, thinking about how could we use it? And I had gone into the department of the, um, equity research. So that had a lot of cost associated to it around the distribution of their hard copy research. They were looking at sort of, could they use the internet to potentially communicate with their customers in a different way and cut down on some of those costs. And so there was an opportunity um, through a pub conversation with some senior managers who were over from the US to really drive that from the UK perspective. And 
and I kind of took it with with both horns. I, at one point, I was traveling five countries a week. I got my British. I had a, a right to remain um, stamp in my passport with my British mother, and having been here for so long as a child, but I had to get my British passport um, at the same time because traveling with a Schengen visa around Europe is never never fun in terms of having to renew it every time and you know just a nightmare um standing in the world's longest queues as you came home and people sort of going how long are you tell going me to about it i'm colombian i know <laughs> now i'm swedish thank god i yeah. have my passport i love being colombian but that part i don't like yeah exactly and there's nothing more disconcerting than coming back into your home country and it, and it had been my home country longer than australia had been in total and uh, the guy at the desk asking you how long you intend to stay <laughs> like I live here. Um, so yeah, I got my British passport. Um, that enabled me to do lots of traveling, go and see lots of clients and really build out the platform that had originally started off as we're only going to use it for research. And then it became kind of like everybody else, single dealer platform, front door to the bank, everything was going online. Really what we did is we we opened the door. It's, it's, it's a little like... Um, if you imagine Amazon, they started as a bookseller and now they you know, sell everything and other people sell through them. So we, we started as a research distribution system and we became this platform for everything to, to do with the bank. And, and, now it's, and now it's called City Velocity and has huge impact. Lots of other banks are very similar. And again, while I was there, there were opportunities to do more things, things I didn't know, things I had no clue about. But again, beginner's mindset, you go in and go, you know, I can I can learn, I can try and understand a bit more, I can hopefully bring a different perspective to whatever the outcome is. And, and through that, I've been able to be part of a joint venture company with several other banks, looking at completely changing how a particular part of the industry was running in respect of trade ideas and dissemination and capture of, of trade ideas. I think of it like sort of a fantasy football structure. Um, I've been able to get involved with new financial data standards at Deutsche Bank. Um, again, I'm not an you know I'm not an architect. I'm not an accountant, but to be able to synthesize what are often very complex either perspectives or, or processes and present them in an analogy that makes sense to more people. You're trying to explain as a non-accountant why the people in the legal division should be interested in being part of a financial data standard at the back end of the bank, you know, and, and being that evangelist that can translate and, and really create some energy and stories around things that people are like yeah I want to get involved in that yes I understand why that would be a benefit to me that you is know. so true um, uh, I am uh, ambassador for the liquid legal institute um, located in Germany and that was one of the things like lawyers should be like like fluid like you should know and understand all the areas and line of businesses of any business uh, you know especially in corporation large corporations so mm. that's that's very very true and I think um, one of the, the pieces I always, I always talk about it in terms of like being Picasso, jack of all trades, master of none. I mean, he was never a key player in one particular part or one particular field of artistry, but he was, he was able to take different parts of it and translate it into his own style. And, and so I think of myself at somewhat grandiosely, I suppose, a little like that, that says, you know, I don't need to be the subject matter expert, but if I can understand enough to translate and um, 
enable people to understand why something's important or why something's relevant or or how else they might envisage it so they can themselves start to engage with something then you know we've removed some of that intellectual snobbery around the process and really brought the democratization of the financial services system to the people that we're asking to sort of sometimes self-service, sometimes, you know, as we as we move away from giving formal advice, we can't just give links to people and expect them sort of that's our duty done. We need to make sure that we're using a language and a structure that allows them to participate wholly and fully. And I think, you know, you're Colombian, I'm Australian, part of being other, I think gives us a benefit, gives us the, the edge in, in understanding that communicating to, to help people understand. Again, coming back to that thing of listen to understand. Don't just say and then assume people are going to either educate themselves or if they can't keep up, that's their problem. I think it behoves all of us to make sure that we are being as inclusive and accessible as possible as, as we go through this crazy journey of life. Um, and now I find myself working in a, a FinTech space which is, it's fabulous, you know, that ability to work with people that says, how do we take something from a nascent idea and, and really deliver a robust outcome on the, on the ethos and the principle of, of the, original, the original thought, the original germ of, of how we could make life better for people. Um, and, and, and that's just the best fun, whether it's dealing with the very beginning of an idea and, and how do we bring something to life in a financial services ecosystem or how do we take something that's maybe more mature in a different vertical a different industry whether that's telcos or legal or whatever it might be and 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 pivot it such that it can bring those benefits to the financial services ecosystem as well you know we wouldn't have um we wouldn't have telephone banking if the mobile phone didn't exist you know we wouldn't have got there on our own i think that that collective of you know stronger together and and bringing the best of each different bits together to create something extraordinary is, is really where the magic is. What an amazing journey from art dealer to you know, working for the Lloyds Bank group, uh, Banking Group. Um, and I know you have been, you know, uh, I guess, not only uh, working uh, you know, in the finance sector now, in the, in the, but also you have been supporting women. You are the founder of uh, various um, networks. One of them is uh, the Technical Women in Leadership and the other one, you're a mentor at the Women in Payments. Mm -hmm. So I guess let's start with the Women in Payments. Um, all your experience from the art dealer world will come very handy here, you know? And then of course, you know, you, you have the knowledge, you have the experience within banking and finance and of course now FinTech. Um, when, how do you, when did you realize that it was good to maybe give back or empower other women? When was that age? Because I didn't feel that call until maybe the Me Too movement, to be honest. When do you feel that call? Um, I think before then, so the, the Me Too movement has what been in the last three, four years, sort of in the, in the Trump era. Um, I hate to mention his name, yeah. um, but I think before that, I, I grew up um, with a series of very strong women. I, I had a great grandmother who was very active in my life until my 20s. My, my grandmother was a very strong and independent lady. 
Um, so my great grandmother had had um, been very traditional. She was born in the Victoria era, and so she was very traditional. But she absolutely ruled the family as a matriarchy. Um, my grandmother was one of the sort of women wrens in these. Um, I want to say the First World War, but that might be wrong. It could just be the Second World War. I'll get my timelines all wrong. Um, she can't beat me though. She has she has since passed. Um, but she was then sort of head of education for New South Wales. She was a very independent, very um, intellectually curious lady who um, to a large extent was a single mother of three children. And then my mother um, was again, very independent, went through a slightly traditional education process in terms of ending up and finishing school in Switzerland, but and, and cordon bleu cookery, all of those things to be the sort of seamless wife, if you like. She ended up also, unfortunately, um, through a series of events, largely being a single mother to three children, although obviously she'd only shot for two children and then got twins. Um, single mother of three children, primary breadwinner. Um, and again, so you see these strong women um, and then the idea of not contributing to the world is it's kind of, it's, it's not really an option. It just feels that that's a natural path to go. Not anymore, at least. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, that, and that ability to kind of see these strong women. And then I think when I, when I was in the art world, there weren't that many women. Um, I, I then joined financial services. There aren't that many women. And I think for a long time, my mother certainly had this. I mean, you know, she was she was told point blank to her face, you know, we're going to pay you less and we expect you to leave because you're a woman. Um, and we, you know, just almost written off before she'd begun. So she very much had this attitude, you know, I'll show them. But the flip side of that was that she wasn't allowed or she didn't allow herself to recognize that she had a family, she had a home life, you know, that work-life balance, work-life blend as they call it now, absolutely didn't exist. Um, and I think for a very long time, people didn't know she had children. We certainly were not allowed to call her at work or or say anything. And, um, you know, sort of proper latchkey children by sort of the age of eight. Um, and for a year, she didn't live with us when I was 10. She lived in a different country doing her job. So, you know, a very different different world. And, and, the, and she had to be very sort of the, you know the old sort of shoulder pads and and you know balls bigger than the guys at all times um and so when I when I was then working a lot of the women I think were still very much like that it was very much you know there are few women and therefore the only way to get ahead is to stand on each other you know to almost be more masculine than the, than the chap that's at the head of the table um and and that I found I found that really hard um and it and it and it was probably it probably was the whole way through probably the whole way sort of through to about 2000 and probably about 2010 I started to bump into women who were kind of okay to be supportive they and, and but not be supportive in a way to get information out to then hang you out to dry later but truly supportive and and I've and I've since then bumped into more and more ladies. And you're right, since the Me Too movement, there's been a strong merge of, you know, women are stronger together. We are stronger when we support each other. We 
we should hopefully understand some of the issues that each of us bump into. So, so yes, yeah, so women in payments is absolutely not my my thing. I'm part of a of a of a piece of work that a lady called Christy Duncan, who is amazing, has created. She's in Canada, and she has this global program that you can apply to be a mentor for. And I think I had applied for it because. Um, to be fair, payments is not a space that I have worked in, but I think the thing that I have found is that I do have experience and knowledge that can help bring forward people as, as they're beginning in their career. And, and I, do, I do to an element want to make sure that we are able to have different sorts of women in sort of as role models and visible within the talent pipeline, as well as the sort of the, the upper end of the tree as well we need definitely need more women there but you're you're absolutely right Tati you know I I experienced bullying throughout my career and but it was I kind of brushed it off as, as quite petty and then I had a line manager who was female who just used every opportunity to demean me and minimize me no matter how hard I was working no matter how much positive commentary I was getting from the clients I was dealing with you know, it was always kind of like that Caesar Milan dog kick that just keep me in my place. Um, and I left there and went to Deutsche Bank. And then I found that there were a number of women there who were equally struggling in a very male orientated world, didn't want to be in a different world, loved being in that space, but was struggling. And, and some of that was around, um, I had then become, I think, one of the catalysts also was I had become a parent and um, what we were finding was, you know, all those sort of, oh, let's go for a drink. And then they'd all talk about strategy or forward plans or what had happened in the office over a pint or, you know, a glass of wine or whatever they wanted, a cocktail. Um, we would be having to belt home and pick kids up from schools to um, facilitate dinners, whatever it might be, because we didn't want to necessarily rely on nannies or, or help to raise our children. That's not why we had children so that we could just farm them off to somebody else. Um, but we were missing out and we, and we were sort of then coming back into meetings and finding decisions and discussions that happened and moved various bits of projects on that we just hadn't been a part of. Um, so it's not quite locker room conversation, but sort of the next level up from that. And so we got together in Deutsche and we were like, okay, there are all these ladies, but we need more time. We don't, we can't be as spontaneous as let's pop for a drink this evening and discuss today's problems. So once a month we would get together and we would swap stories and um, share, you know, whatever was going on and um, just generally talk each other off the ledge a little bit and, um, and go back, not quite with the world to rights, but certainly feeling more comfortable with with what we were doing and how we were thinking about things or having our minds open to different perspectives in a, in a more gentle way. And we had through the course of that network, um, we had you know, divorces were happening, people being made redundant, all sorts of you know, ups and downs, um, role changes, both within the bank and outside of the bank. And, and one of the other ladies who I had always seen as just this you know, immaculate, totally together so knowledgeable subject matter experts sort of came back um and and came into the group sort of saying this group 
kept me sane they kept me going you know um embrace us all and was just really really um transparently almost naked in her emotions of how the network had had just supported her and you know and her children and and being able to keep moving forward and find the next role and and continue to live her life very expansively and then when i left there and joined lloyd's bank again no networks except very formal sort of corporate language ones and the more that you grow through your career i think i i think i stopped being eligible for various networks because i was sort of too too senior for one you know for one of a better word um and all of a sudden that some of that scaffolding falls away and i was just kind of like there's nowhere where you can go and take off that public mask you know you've got some ladies who are promoted to very senior positions and they're expected to carry the weight of every female coming through their path they have to be more perfect than perfect you know women are promoted on the evidence of where they have been brilliant or done something already whereas men are very often uh, promoted on their potential and so you have this woman who not only has to be 150% perfect, she has to have done it already, she has to have beaten off all the competition, and then she has to carry the mental of, you know, being the perfect example of that role for every other woman who's coming through so that they have the opportunity to do it as well. And that's a really lonely place to be. So... The, the network that we have now, Technical Women in Leadership, was for, you know, there are some amazing women out there. Let's let's bring our collective you know, gumption and our, our ability to move mountains together, you know, and, and how do we support each other in that moment of creating psychologically safe spaces, but also demonstrations of, you know, here are four other people who've probably experienced something that you're experienced today that can tell you, you know, this is what worked for me, this is what didn't work for me, or just act as a sounding wall for you to just talk yourself off that ledge some days. I completely relate to that. I mean, a place to just wind down, you know, and, and share knowledge and, and, you know, just, yes. This brings me to my second and almost just to the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. My second question will be, uh, besides your mother and your grandmother, do you have any other women that have been the female factor that make a positive impact in your life? Oh, absolutely. Um, do you want me to name names? <laughs> Go ahead. My um, guess if you want to. So there are a number of women who I'm who are still from part of that group at Deutsche Bank. You know, there's Nadine Rosnaho, there's Shannon Walker, there's Helen Ogilvie, and then there is Judith Worthy. They are all still a tight-knit group. We get together when we can and put the world to rights. Um, then there are so many women through my journey at, um, well, since since Lloyd's really, um, there are any number of Kates, Kate Rosenstein, Kate Gray, who is just the most extraordinary human being I've ever met in my life. Why was um, she that extraordinary, well, for example? She is... Um, she is one of those people who's been everywhere, done everything. She has been at the forefront of change. Um, she uh, sort of, she's a little bit older than me. She always makes out that she's much older. I don't think she's actually that much older, but she's, she's probably, I don't know, somewhere between five and 10 years older than me. We never discuss it. Um, she has gone back to university to do her PA, to sort of do um, MS in, in um neuroscience and computing and the ability to still learn even though it's scary all this very complicated maths and algorithms 
in the world of AI. She has been at the top of just about every interesting business on a tech side that ever there was. And yet, having gone that full circle of being that, that sort of ballsy, ballsy woman through to someone who is more than willing to share her insights, lift people up, and and just generally make you feel like a whole human being. I mean, she is truly chicken soup for the soul. I'm just feeling the good vibes here. Oh, you know. she's amazing. <laughs> and she will be great for the artificial intelligence uh, series that I'm doing now. I guess. Oh, she would be amazing. I must put you in touch. Then oh. there's Michelle Prance. There's Kate. You know, Kate Rosenshine. There's um, there's Sean Millie, who you've obviously already met. There are just so many, many women who, do you know what? They're just, I think we're all just crying out for someone to be kind and supportive. And, you know, once we find that and it resonates, it, it draws others who are looking for the same, you know, whether you are a, a coach like Maura Mackey, whether you are, you know, in a, in different industries oh so many and I know I'm missing so many people at this point um so please don't be offended but all these women they know who I who they are um I speak to them all the time I I tag them on so many things but but they are they are the the food of my soul I mean this is just wonderful to hear because you know my last guest she couldn't name one person Oh, that's, that's tragic. I know. So this is amazing. So this really takes us to the end of the episode. What will be that takeaway for those listening and maybe for that um, guest that I had that didn't have, couldn't mention anyone? Yeah. um, I think dare to ask for more, you know, look for the yes, if in your life. I mean, this is something I learned from a lady called Vicky Linton at um, Salesforce. Again, an extraordinary lady now at Temenos. You know, yes, if, if you say yes, but that's sort of saying yes to an opportunity, but very much putting your kind of brakes on because there's a but in there that says, but these are 55 reasons why I can't do it. Um, and almost looking for someone to maybe persuade you or give yourself an out because it, the yes makes you feel uncomfortable because it's something new. Whereas if you say yes, if, it allows you to say yes, if, you know, I'll take on that speaking engagement if I get to go second, if you don't put me on a tall pedestal chair that I'm gonna fall off of because I've got short legs, you know, whatever it is, the ifs are the things that allow you to become more comfortable with the yes. So that instead of like hanging on by your fingernails every time and when you look back, you're like, oh, I did do a speaking engagement. It's terrifying. I don't think I ever want to do it again. You can go, yes, I did a speaking engagement. And, you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I know I can do it again. Or I know that not only next time do I not want that tall chair, but I also I want to go uh, second on the panel or I want to only be part of it when the questions are being asked, not when the discussion points are happening. It enables you to open up a whole world of possibility and not do it by hanging on by your fingernails. You really embrace it and get good at it and then go on to the next thing that's a yes if. Thank you, Kate, for being with us at the Female Factor podcast. Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about this episode, you can read the description 
or you can also go to our website www.iwib.online. You can also follow us on Instagram at IWIB Business Network. Until next time.